0: Hey, welcome to Scratching the Surface. I'm Jared Fuller, and this is a podcast about politics and intellectualism. On today's episode, I am joined by the writer, editor, activist, and the just-elected new state senator from Pennsylvania, Nikhil Saval. Before running for state senate, Nikhil was a co-editor of the literary magazine N Plus One and the author of the book, Cubed, A Secret History of the Workplace. But for those of you who know me and know this podcast, you will probably know that Nikhil also happens to be one of my very favorite design writers. Nikhil's writing on design, architecture, and urbanism has appeared in the New York Times and the New Yorker and has been, I think, some of the smartest, most thoughtful, most interesting writing on design over the last few years. He's written about subjects ranging from the Bauhaus to architecture of Silicon Valley to brutalism to Robert Venturi. I was curious to hear how... This career might influence his new job in Pennsylvania's state Senate. So in this conversation recorded right before the election, where he was running unopposed, we talk about all of that. This conversation opens with the intersection of his writing life and his activist life, but quickly moves through how he started writing about design and how design can be a subject that allowed him to write about so many of the things that he was interested in. We talk about how writing and editing are shaping how he hopes to legislate and how it's kind of influencing his his new job, or how he thinks it will influence his new job, and why intellectualism has been such an important part of his campaign. This was such a fascinating and fun conversation for me. It hits on so many of the subjects that come up on this podcast, but Nikhil's position brings a sort of new perspective to many of them. And he does a a really great job, I think, of articulating design's position in the larger culture and why that's so fascinating to so many people i am so honored to have him on on this show and so excited to see what he does in pennsylvania remember scratching the surface is made possible because of listeners like you if you enjoy this show and want to help support it you can become a member for just five dollars a month or fifty dollars a year members get an exclusive monthly newsletter written by me as well as previews of the upcoming episodes If you like Scratching the Surface, and if you want to see it continue, please consider becoming a supporting member. It truly means so much to me. For all the details, you can visit scratchingthesurface.fm slash members. Thank you, as always, for listening, and here is my conversation with Nikhil Saval. I want to kind of begin this conversation and frame this conversation this perhaps is an oversimplification but you essentially have kind of two sides to your uh your work life or two sides to your kind of public life you have this kind of writing editing uh I'm I'm sorry to use this word but like intellectual side and then you have this um political side, you're running for state senator. or you just, you know, ran for state Senate in Pennsylvania, you are an activist and an organizer. And I'm interested in how those two roles come together for you. Where do those start to overlap for you and kind of how you think about these, these activities? Well,
1: it's a very good question. And, you know, I'm not sure <laughs> I, I, I would say so I'm going to be uh, a little bit a little bit discursive here, but so I you know the the way you put it actually is is often how I did think about it that I have I keep two sets of books essentially <laughs> that on, yeah. on the one on the one hand, I mean, you know literally i am books in the sense that I'm a writer and an editor and and then at the same time, I have an organizing life, and i I've been an activist and and now it will be quite full-time in the sense that i will be full-time state legislator. And that may change things, but you know, until now, and you know, to it's today I, I have to file pieces, I have to write things and I have to, and I have to organize and I have to, you know, get out the vote here in Pennsylvania and, and things like that. So, um, and you know, in a way, I, I almost I feel like I in insofar as this was a deliberate set of choices, and and it and it is they they were and they weren't I to to kind of do both things. I I do feel like one I did think of one as sort of absolving me in in another sphere. So, for example, I have never been though I my writing I feel is political or politically reflected, yeah. and you know I I just never really felt that it was, you know, oriented towards social justice or to a particular cause, you know? And so, um, and, and it might've been, I think it maybe I might've gone in that direction, although, you know, it was never really my inclination. And mm. so I did the activist work in a way partly because I just was interested in it and it was satisfying and I found it effective and useful, but, also, because I, if I, in a way, if I did that, if I was a labor organizer, which I was for a few years, volunteer labor organizer, or doing electoral politics, community organizing, neighborhood level organizing, I would do that. And then I wouldn't have to write about the thing. Oh, and so- Interesting. To, you know, I feel like I wouldn't need my journalism to do the things that I do otherwise. And so, um, and so you know- because i i i think some of the work that i do is is and i don't i use this word not not necessarily negatively like elitist i, you know, I like, yeah, yeah yeah yeah, and so i have i one i write for like you know somewhat i had this i edited i was a co-editor of n plus one a literary magazine that is is among small magazines is relatively popular, but is a small magazine. And so naturally has a, a limited audience. Uh, it has, you know, a, when I was editing it, it had about 10,000 read, you know, subscribers. and so, um, so that's just not, I mean, it's a, it's a lot for a magazine of that, of that kind, but not that many people. And so, you know, I could write about various topics, esoteric topics. I could treat them in a certain manner. And, um, And not feel like I was failing, even though, again, even though those pieces could be political that I edited or wrote, they didn't need to have direct political utility. And I think there's always that pressure on writers who are socialists or identify as on the left in some way. And because I had this other life. And so that's, so anyway, that's, that's the beginning of of an answer to that. And now obviously there is more and they do, they do, they do inform each other, but but you know, I, in a way, you're, what you're posing is actually how I've mostly felt: is these things are somewhat separate.
0: It's it's interesting to me, and I want to come back obviously and kind of talk about the Senate and and you know your plans and kind of how that maybe fits into this. But I want to I want to stay on the writing side for a bit because I. I know exactly what you're talking about as someone who has read your work for years and even in preparing for this conversation went back and read a lot of your work kind of back to back to back and I think there is very clearly a political angle to everything that that you write about Um, but I couldn't figure out as I was reading these I couldn't figure out whether this writing was meant to be activism, whether you were kind of trying to make change through the writing, whether this was just commentary, whether this was uh, critique. I mean, you kind of move between these. And so I'm, to kind of go back to what you were saying earlier, I'm interested in if this side of your life was able to manifest itself in the organizing and in the activism, what was the goal of the writing side? What, you know, when you are kind of filing pieces in writing, do you have a goal in kind of what you want those pieces to do? I think I wanted,
1: and, you know, I'll have to think of particular examples so that I can actually understand what I'm talking from these pieces. But they, because it's it's hard to, in a way, it's hard to reconstruct, even though it, I presume I know my own intentions. But I, I always wanted the piece to think through a problem that I, nags me or I'm obsessed with. and And so you know for example uh when i was writing when i was on contract i was on contract for the new yorker for a year to write a design column <laughs> which again and we'll maybe we'll get into this but yep. know, 10 years ago i didn't i would have never thought that that would be my life but I, I i you know i i was doing that and so i wrote a piece on uber and transit and city right. or, or rather yep. ride ride hailing ride sharing transportation network companies there's a number of different names for it, but Uber Lyft, that kind of phenomenon. And you know, I, I personally as and and politically I have a strong desire to see that whole phenomenon come to an end. Okay. Like right. Yeah. I yeah. support the growth of transportation network companies certainly in that form. And the politics of them I think are noxious. And so I I want I want it to, to stop. And so but I know however that like a piece um, like doesn't do that it doesn't like I don't I don't think I'm actually able I, I don't know that I'm able to yeah, do that yeah. in an essay I'm not able to I'm not a muckraker I I don't I can't just like slit the throat of a billion dollar company with a, <laughs> like a, yeah. a, a knife yeah. you know sharp piece and so what I instead wanted to do was just think through like well why do I what is the problem I have here? Like, why I like it, I I mm. why do I like Why does this company make me so upset and angry? Or why does this form of of travel and transit? And so, um, so that was that was an instance in in which I felt like I actually probably did have a political goal, but I didn't. You know, you have and there and it's somewhat articulated in that piece. But yeah,
0: yeah, I think it is. <laughs>
1: and so, and then but maybe more obliquely, you know, there, I wrote a piece also for the New Yorker about. The, about Apple and it was um it was when Johnny I Sir Johnny Ive um
0: uh, yep right after know. he uh resigned or or you know left the company yeah yeah
1: yeah exactly yep and you know it gave me license it and I quite indulgent that uh, I think, <laughs> you know, like to just be to think about why i hated this the the objects that were coming out of Apple or like the you know the especially the the phone in particular which I now have one I actually did have one and I wrote the piece
0: oh interesting
1: I had a flip phone and and then I ran for office and it suddenly became just wow I love
0: unfortunately. it
1: unfortunately but um it's and so you know maybe then there too it's like I'm like I want the iPhone to end I didn't want it to stop <laughs> I don't have to use it. And that that could even, you know, whereas actually it it might be the case that someone would, will like end Uber as it exists or like, you know, defund Uber or whatever, but like you won't, you won't, that's not going to happen to the phones. I mean, something not, and so, you know, but also it's, it was complex. I actually do admire the, I admire what is happening. I clearly recognize these objects as, as work, as design objects that, um, are deeply considered and felt. And so I had to also express that part. And, um, and, but, you know, and then the other thing that I always try to do is to make these things social. And so like, that's, that's right. where, uh, you know, I, I not having a design background or training, I'm often trying to explain, I'm often trying to, to, to explain things to myself as a mm. someone who knows more about design than I certainly did. And, and maybe more than, than some people. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to ex- explain these objects and these, these, these practices like that to someone like myself who comes to them fascinated and, um, and then, and perceives them in social life, like and perceives them as part of their everyday life, which is, necessarily inflected with your, with how society functions at a particular point in time, what the history of capitalism is, or what the, you know, what the economy is like. So, um yeah, that's, that's how I, that's what I try to do. In the, <laughs> you know,
0: I is, mean, it's, yeah, it's interesting that you brought up those two pieces. And, and I want to, I want to, like, talk about the design side of this uh in a second. But I think what you said is exactly kind of my reading of your work to be honest i think that uber piece especially was the one that i felt of all the new yorker pieces that there very clearly was a point of view very clearly was kind of a an agenda i guess you could say um and the johnny ive one i thought was was one of your most kind of like straight criticism pieces like it like you said it was very uh pointed and direct and you had an argument that that you were making that i you know very much enjoyed I guess as you're talking about this though, I'm I hesitate to bring this up because I don't have the exact quote. Um, but I remember listening a couple of months ago to an interview with Tanahasi Coates, and he was talking about how his essay, The Case for Reparations, had kind of gained more cultural currency since he had written it. And I hope I'm not misinterpreting his answer but the interviewer kind of asked him about that about how it's now part of the conversation in a lot of ways in that you know half of the the democratic candidates running for president talked about reparations and he said something to the effect and again i'm quoting him and i hope i wasn't misinterpreting what he said but he was like i'm not he doesn't try to write to change things he writes so the people who can change things will read like hopefully read what he says and that that will help spark something and that's kind of my the way i kind of see your work does that resonate with you
1: yeah it does i i think that's that's right i mean i you know and uh, though the, the comparison, I, I feel like it,
0: yeah yeah, uh, is
1: very is very kind to me. I mean, Tanha is a really, really great really <laughs> right. writer, but it and I, you know, but the other thing is, that, and but but yes, I mean, like I at the same time that you know it does, it's it's just shy of that. It's a little bit further away, and there, there is the case for rep- it's an it's a useful comparison, it, 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 you know, just to to take take an example of someone who has influenced policy, policy discussion without producing policy. That's for reparations is, is that, and it yeah. people to understand the history of redlining and, and, um, and property and, and black, the black and white wealth gap and things like that. And, but I, you know, I, I often, I often write pieces that don't, that don't have that, or, 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 I mean, like that's very obvious, but I, they don't have, um, they don't they don't end with like right, a real direction right. for what it is you you want to do. I mean, I've written you know architecture profiles for magazines, and and that I mean you know I and then for N plus one, I think I maybe write more. I I felt freedom to write some more pointed political pieces, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah, it was it it's it's sort of I I think ultimately. I was trying to, I was, I'm trying to, I'm trying to understand a a problem that is obsessing me in in a particular way. So um, some of the, some of the, like the closest, like political pieces I've written for N plus one, and some of these have been unsigned because we published these unsigned editorials at the very beginning. Oh, right. Right. And so, you know, I wrote pieces about the democratic party and what kind of party it actually was and, and how it functioned and, you know, in a way, that was something that was the that was when I was getting involved in in politics, and I needed some way of, you can't actually figure that stuff out as you're doing it i mean, and so i have to I have to stop and read about it and and think through the problems and and allow for some circumspection and it and it and maybe I gesture at some point to what you know what the yeah. future there is or what it is that we should do, but i I try to. Try to avoid those injunctions um, because I don't. I then I I then no. I I feel like they're often they can seem sort of apostrophic maybe like um, where you're you know they're often on the left. It's very common for people, especially like the socialist left, to say to end a piece with you know some injunction or like it's just like call to the working class to do something. And you're like, what? That's it's just it always reads poorly to me. And I, I and this I say this as an editor who is often editing th- these things out of pieces, where you're, like, you know, you ha- that doesn't. This is dishonest. It's not, you know, you're not. That's not actually the odd only pa- if that's your audience. Only part of that audience is reading this. They're not, and you right. want something to happen at the end of this piece. That's not going to happen because you say it, and so, like it's you you right. It's dishonest, and so. Um so I try to I tried to, to avoid those things in my in my writing as well.
0: So let's um let's talk about design. Uh because that's sure. for for many years is what I kind of how I came to your work. And I read you in The New Yorker and the New York Times, and you were this person who I thought was writing about design in a really smart way and in a way that I felt like not a lot of people were. Uh and in in a way, kind of like we're talking about now, you were making it social. You were kind of connecting it to larger ideas, you were looking at uh history and kind of putting it into a historical context. And as you said earlier in the conversation, you kind of came to design through a a, a roundabout way. You feel like maybe you don't know that much about design. Um where that where did your interest in design come from? Or how did you kind of find your way into that? that beat for a while
1: there is a a long history to to this that i will <laughs> sum up very quickly but you know i think the seeds for it were just moving to new york city when it was where i mm. college i went to columbia in mm-hmm. 2001 to 2005 and um You know, at the same time, discovered the kind of corpus of urban studies and founded an urban Mm. studies journal at the college. I had made a very good friend who was an architecture and an urban studies major, and we just would take these walks around the city. And you know, I I just I I sort of became interested in in planning design, but again, purely as an amateur. And uh, the other thing is that my uh, my wife. is a preservationist an architectural preservationist. oh so, oh interesting so we, she actually knows a lot <laughs> and, and <so laughs> there are many ideas that we just kind of discussed and i i sort of I, you know i learn how to read buildings in a way from her but mm-hmm. uh, although she she does so which with the accuracy and skill and i often right
0: of course don't yeah.
1: really understand what i'm looking at sometimes but the but the real thing that the real thing that changed me into a design writer without my realize ex- planning expecting this to happen was my first book or
0: okay uh, so far
1: yeah. only book which is, which is called Cubed and it is um a history of the office its office work office culture and office right. design and what happened with that book is i i actually ended up writing you know, I wanted it, I it, the seed for it, I wanted it to be a labor history of white collar work. I thought mm. as someone who had worked in an office who, you know, and, and was just kind of alienated by the experience <laughs> and, and and wanted to organize a, a union with my fellow publishing employees at some point, I just was like, well, why don't white collar workers have the same consciousness as as Say blue collar. I mean, this is put very crudely, but as as blue collar Uh workers have had, we don't. There aren't that many unions among office workers in the private sector in the United States, and why is that? And so I started to research that history. The split between mental and manual labor is in the in the kind of Marxist tradition, and but C Wright Mills has a book called White Collar, and so Mm -hmm. I wrote this like very long sprawling piece that also ended up trying to figure out um, that took as one of its moments in, 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 in white collar history, the invention of the office cubicle. Right. And one I was writing it for N plus one, the first kind of seed article for this book. And someone just was, was thought, well, that you're, this piece is about the history of the cubicle. And, and I, I thought, well, it was not what I wanted to hear. I was like, I don't really <laughs> want to make that. That sounds boring, but then I it it turned out you could tell a large part of the history of post-war capitalism by talking about what happened by the about the invention of the office cubicle and it's what happened to it. It was meant initially to be this sort of flexible solution to open plan offices that uh, was was created by you know people don't tend to think about this, but it was created by an inventor working for Herman Miller, one of the great right. office furniture companies in the 20th century i mean it's still and uh, and so but then it became this box and, and it, be, it became smaller and smaller as the economy became tougher and meaner in the 80s mm-hmm. and and to the present day and so suddenly i i saw this there was this connection between design and work and the economy and that was the mm. that was my book for the large in a large way and i i you know, I I could talk about the history of the skyscraper or and, and I'm not the only person to have done this, but just to unify all these, to synthesize all this information, to talk about cities. I mean, downtowns as features of American cities that are that are different from other cities and mm-hmm. concentrations of white collar workers to talk about design and power and the way that um, feminist organizers trying to use, organize secretaries used office design to to help their cause. and. Um, that's a lot of what my book is about and so when it came out i thought you know the it was it could be read as a business book which is off, actually how my publisher partly marketed it and or is it mm. about that the future of work and instead right. what a lot of people picked up on was that it was an i was an architecture writer and i was yeah a, and so i someone was like i love your book can you review this new biography of Corbusier for us and I was I was like I don't really know that much I mean I, I mean like compared with many architecture journalists and students and historians and stuff I knew very you know comparatively very little but I thought okay you know yeah sure I'll okay. do it and so then and so in a way it, it's I I sort of set on this path but it was it was the book and then the reception of the book I think that that solidified yeah. that.
0: I mean that's so that's so so interesting to me to hear that because I I read the book and and I remember reading it thinking like yeah this is a this is a design book this is a this is a book about design and I think hearing you recount that and as I was preparing for this I was having trouble placing when the book came out kind of exactly in your career of whether you had written about design before so it's interesting that that was the seed but it's also interesting because Everything that's in all of your other, quote unquote, design writing, I think is in that book. And it's what you just said, that it is not just looking at objects or artifacts or buildings, but connecting those two questions of power and labor and feminism and, you know, how the built environment is then kind of shaping the conditions of the people inside them, which is why I'm kind of so drawn to your writing. And so the... (laughs) That's a I guess like a compliment that I'm trying to turn into a question <laughs> um i'm you i'm I'm interested in your relationship to the word design, I guess at a really kind of simple level 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 you know thinking that this was a book that you did not think was a design book, and that when someone told you this is about the design of the cubicle, you were kind of put off by that, and then suddenly you find yourself being asked to write about design. Did, and you had this kind of other interest as an amateur. Once you started writing about it, did this seem like a, a like a beat that you were interested in and that you could write about? Was this, a was this word design a kind of term that, I don't know, excited you or felt like these other bigger questions you had you could kind of filter through the lens of design?
1: Yes, yeah. That in fact, I you put it beautifully. I, I had never really been able to articulate it to myself, but I think. That's, that's certainly right. You know, in the process of writing the book and just it now is some distance mm-hmm. in, in the sense that it came out in 2014, but I wrote it, you know, the better early part of this decade that's ending. And I, you know, I, the, one of the things that was interesting in the, in, in writing the book is I, I felt I had this, I feel like architects don't come off well in the book, you know, with some exceptions. And so <laughs> They, and I and I don't feel that way anymore, but I just, I had this great desire to deflate the sort of pretend, the kind of pretend right, right. yeah. and things like that, but interior designers, I had this great admiration for, and mm. I thought that even where there were mistakes or things that seemed to, to fail or, or go wrong, you know, I really, I really liked researching, like writing about uh, Florence Knoll, for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, And I think was, I just thought was a brilliant design. Like I thought was a genuine, genuinely great figure and who deserves to be, you know, the equal in, in our conversation with some of the, with architects. And I think they, and, you know, not to separate these two things out too much, but I think (laughs) the reason that I, I do is that, you know, not, not all architects were, were, were skilled at, at design. They didn't actually design a lot, in many cases design the interiors of these offices. And so the, the the people who dealt with what with people's everyday experience of the office were sort of interior designers or furniture designers or, um, or, or in some cases scientific managers. And so they were closer to people and had this kind of, you know, as I started to look into the, to understand the profession, um, you know, it was, it was this profession that seemed, to permit a a huge expansion of what it, what it, of its meaning Mm -hmm. and what Mm -hmm. things counted Mm -hmm. as design (laughs) Um, and architecture. It's sort of clear what counts as architecture, but, you know, Charles Eames has this, has this phrase, everything is architecture. And so that I think is the kind of, that, that's, that I think is the, the ambition of certainly of, 20th century design and probably 20 and you know in some cases 21st century I mean we yeah I think yeah, there's yeah. a sense that if you were a designer what you can't you can what can't you do I think that's sort the of feeling is in such that you know and that's true in the career of some of these of these figures like like Ray and Charles Eames where it's obviously furniture and house and houses model houses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. also Films, toys—you know, just kind of yeah. considering the nature of communication. Um, you know, then figures like Buckminster Fuller. I, I you yeah. know, like, where they're you're like, well, what is, what are you exactly like? And I think that's that. You know, yeah. you're planners. You're, you think about housing, cybernetics. I think there's just this way in which it was. You know, the more I got into it, the more I felt like it was. It, the nice thing about design is that it is. It, it admits that kind of capaciousness, so it, it is
0: yeah you have
1: genuinely kind of fascinating people who enter into it and who are intellectuals of a, of a sort.
0: Mm-hmm. At the
1: same time that it is it's always on the edge of like bullshit sort of yeah. So yeah. Like, yeah um and so you're you're like yeah is fuller a fraud maybe you know like and and, yeah. and at times you and i think that's and there's just this level at which fraudulence is always around the corner and yeah that part about it makes it like the fact that it is this kind of soft profession yeah, in, in yeah. Way, and like that's that's why i feel like it's you know it's it's great and and then it you know th- there's some more obvious kind of issues like it are you designing for you know these objects, like if you're a designer of mm-hmm. you're an industrial designer are you um, facilitating the growth of a consumer society or are you an artist you know and like all those right. sort of like right. classic juxtapositions I think are nonetheless I mean they're they're sort of they might be a little bit old at this point but they they're not resolved exactly and so I think they continue to be interesting in very in just every sort of instance as, as well as of course the, the like design or artists. I think there's this, um, yeah. you know, what's the Bruno Minari book. I think that he has a, is the book about that. I mean, there's just, yeah, yeah, you know, and so, yeah, so that's, that's what, that's what got me interested in it. I thought it was like a, it was another. And so as a result, you, you find that you can suddenly examine, you know, all these aspects of your, of a society through something that you, you, maybe might think not to you know that's right what, like i so like you why not maybe you learn something different about the economy or capitalism or or uh or what have you when if you think about if you look at design first yeah you start to yeah things through design
0: i mean it's it's very um it, it makes me feel good to hear you say that, to be honest, because, you know, I am a designer, I studied design. And so I kind of just naturally am bent to look at things through a design lens. And I think I've, I've talked about this on the podcast before with people that I, I see everything from, you know, politics and, and the economy and culture kind of through a design lens. And that, you know, I have this theory, um, that all kind of cultural criticism is also just kind of design criticism (laughs) that Mm -hmm. that design is the the container that holds all of this but i never know if i kind of think that because you know is that the ego of the designer that you're talking about um uh and so it's interesting to hear that you kind of think about it that way also i'm i have two kind of i i want to go a little deeper on on that question but i have two connected questions that are probably a little bit inside baseball but I'm I'm curious to hear how you think about them. I'm I'd love to hear about your own education in design. Once you found yourself writing about these things, were you um were you assigned pieces and then you kind of went out and researched them and reported back or were you also starting to consume this stuff on your own and you know kind of pitching these things? How did a how did that kind of education, that kind of self-education come about for you?
1: I would say that it was a little bit of both. I think that I, the writing that I did about architecture, so like specifically, you know, people who were architects, you know, principally <laughs> had architecture practices and built buildings for the most part. Um, that That was largely assigned. I would say that someone would say, T- the T magazine would say something like you, w- can you write about Kengo Kuma, you know, the Japanese architect <laughs> or, um, or can you, and, and then in which case I would have to suddenly learn as much as I could about the history of 20th century, of post-war Japanese architecture or, you know, it was like, and right, that was, which right. is great. I mean, I like, you know, I had some inkling of it, but it was, it was like this just, you know, and I, 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 it's scary. Cause you're like, Oh, I gotta write this piece. But so that, so I say the architecture pieces are more generated by other people. And then they'll kind of, then when it gets into design, you know, I, I I'm a, I'm sort of creating those, I, I'm coming up with those ideas myself. It's, and then for the New York, and it also depends on the institution. So,
0: oh, right. Right.
1: So for the New Yorker, I believe I came up with most of those ideas. I think someone, I think that's, I think that's right. I'm trying to, I'm trying to think of an instance where it was an assignment. Oh, well, you know, someone actually, the first piece I wrote for them, which was about the scooters about. Oh yeah. Scooter. Yeah. Yeah. And so that was their idea. And I, then I was, thought it was a great one, but that's, you know, that it, it also is conceivable. I guess I could have come up with that one. It's it just, it seemed like it not normal or natural to me to, to write such a piece and so mm-hmm. um yeah so that's and then and then yeah and then i was just reading around i mean like so <laughs> so they, they i wrote a piece for the times about the oss about the it, yeah so
0: that's the, the one i was thinking of that was what my next question was going to be about
1: <laughs> oh okay yeah so well, do, do you want to i i mean the, but that was i what mean i came up with i
0: yeah, that's kind of was my question because that that was the one that I felt was different. I also think your piece about the Bauhaus was was like this, where it was just so well researched, and I was like, is is he just, you know, kind of consuming this stuff on his own and pitching this, or did somebody ask him to to read all of this? Because uh, those two pieces, especially, I I uh, you know just loved.
1: Yeah, the I mean the Bauhaus one was. I mean, it was like the anniversary of the battle. Right. I was, yeah. The I, centennial. I, I I would not. I uh, hate anniversary pieces, and I would <laughs> not. I mean, I was very pleased to be able to write that one, but I would not have come up with that one myself. But if someone says, if the times is like, we'll send you to Germany, I'm like, <laughs> great. <laughs> I mean,
0: yeah, yeah. Yeah. Of course, sure. I'll go.
1: And so I, uh, and so then I, you know, and I knew a bit. I would say, uh, you know, but probably not you know like in a very honestly it was fairly cursory I feel like my knowledge of of the Bauhaus Mm -hmm. and so you know I I just it it forces the it forces the reading and and the Bauhaus is like the perfect instance of all the things that we're talking about because I was just
0: gonna say that yeah
1: yeah I mean it's like obviously the, the the major figures associated with it are architects but the point of the you know the the and then, it, and then architecture took on this like increasing role mm-hmm. towards the end of it with because Mies was the was the last director. And so, you know, who, who was, I mean, though Mies obviously did do furniture, I mean, he was an art, you know, he was truly an architect yeah. in this way. And yeah. so, whereas Gropius or, you know, these, these sort of other figures were like, at least had an idea that, that craft design, folklore, all of these things, you know, theater, all the things mm-hmm. are a little bit more part of the, the total spirit of the, of the place. And so it, in a way it's like, yeah, it's the, I, the perfect instance of all the things that we're talking about in terms of the fluidity of what design can mean. And, and that was, yeah, it was just a, an opportunity at the same time that it was, it took place in this extremely charged political atmosphere. And like right. there's, there's hard, you're sort of hard pressed to find a, a more, intense times like then put interwar Germany I mean it's just like there's there's like uh, in terms of like culture and politics mixing I mean all at once and and many different possibilities and foreclosed futures and you know political parties literally crack like fighting in the streets and remember remember. You know, yeah and so that's you know there's it's like it's almost too much like it's a perfect piece and so that was that was an idea that someone came up with, but I had I had great freedom in how I wrote mm. it, and and so for that I have to thank my editors and the editor my editor at T and the editor and the editor in chief of T. But um, the OSS piece was my idea. I mean, I had okay, nice. I had like I had come across. There's a very great piece about it by um, Barry Katz, who I, yeah. Um, is, is associated with IDEO, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. And so uh, I think so. Yeah. And, and, but I, you know, but it's, it's a fairly scholarly. Yeah. And so I was like, but, and it's one of the only pieces, like pieces to have looked at this OSS design um, or presentation branch archive. And mm-hmm. so I went and looked at it as well. And so I, you know, I, don't I, I, I in a way I'm not sh- fully sure that I, I if you look, it's worth reading his piece. I'm not sure I improved it. Improved it but it's, it's like, it's, it was, yeah, that was my thinking. It was another instance where the arts of, you know, one, I think we, we maybe don't even think of it, not, and not we as in designers certainly think about presentation, but I don't know that. Keep thinking about presentation, and there's a little, you know, maybe people have Edward tufty books, and you know, there's just like <laughs> right. there's not. It's like the notion that presentation as an art and as a practice, like, has an origin, and it's like it's being refined, and forms of abstraction are being refined in, in the context of this spy operation. I mean, it's, just like, it's kind of, I mean, I and I, it was difficult to figure out whether you know i still don't know if it's true to the extent that i claimed in the piece that it all starts here or what you know like i think there's like a there's maybe an over dramatization in that but but it was yeah it was it it certainly it it certainly seems to be like the right time when a lot of and then when a lot of these you know forms of presentation are being pioneered and like and you have this government that is just interested in it and so or like this or this is sort of like Sub branch of government that is new, um, yeah,
0: right. I mean, so th- this is actually a nice way to start to kind of connect all of this back to the Senate and uh you know, kind of this next thing that you're you're doing. And so, for the last year, I guess you've been running for state Senate in Pennsylvania, and we're recording this a few weeks, like two weeks before. Um, before the election this episode will come out after the election you're running at this point you you won the primary uh and you're running unopposed in the general election so unless some strange thing happens by the time people listen to this you will have been elected to the state senate in pennsylvania um i'm very curious how all of this kind of design stuff that we're talking about do you have a sense on how that has influenced or or uh perhaps shaped how you think about politics and how you think about electoral politics and how you are thinking about legislating
1: yeah it has and it hasn't i would say mm. so the and it, in and so i'll the i'll get to the has part but the hasn't part is i'm still i i maybe i'll say it and then i'll feel like it's not true but the, uh, the so that has is like the and, and maybe this is obvious is like you know i write about obviously i write about design and the kind of like more in graphic interior uh, mm-hmm. like less like less obviously political side of design which doesn't mean that it's not political it's just it's not so clear but um but i do write about cities and city planning and housing mm-hmm. and housing yeah. politics. And there that I mean, that work and interest has been as it has obvious has had obvious relevance and importance for for my ability to like talk about those subjects to to be sort of literate in them. And Mm. so, you know, I had the support of a number of urbanists in in Philadelphia just because not not necessarily because I was always expert in the issues that they were expert in, whether it's transit or or housing or zoning. But but I just had a basic level of literacy and understanding right. the topics. I knew the I knew the the kind of relevant writers on a given subject or thinkers, and could underst- learn to understand it very quickly. And so that that's been helpful, and it's going to be helpful. And it just you know I'm I'm just interested in the subject, and I think I'll I'll be be able to do a decent job in terms of finding le- mm-hmm. producing legislation on it so that I think is, I mean, you know, that, that's not so surprising maybe, and it wasn't necessarily surprising to me. I, I it was part of my pitch in a way. I, I'm, I write about housing and architecture with the New Yorker and like someone, and that was, that's, that was not the most important thing, but it was not irrelevant. And so then the, the, the way that it hasn't in this is in the sense that I feel like there's this part of me that is, is just interested in these things and, I don't know. You know, I just don't know. I don't. I don't really know how they're gonna how they're going to be relevant. I the only thing that makes me feel like the, the 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 relevance maybe is just that it's like you know I designers are sort of like you know and especially in in it's it's true at various times in in American history certainly that design like a designer will become the kind of epitome of what is creativity in the, in the country you know like and, um yeah. the eameses were this at some point fuller was this it's you know at a certain point um in italy actually like and like these sort of figures mm-hmm. where they just do everything and they like you know there's even this um this film called executive suite which is like a was like a oh it's a film oh, in the 50s and like the and like it's a it's not at all very good but it's like it was a big hollywood film where like the main character is basically based on Charles Eames and like his office is is meant to resemble and he, like oh. Eames's house or the Eames's house and like it's it's and he's he's this designer who's fighting the like the takeover the restructuring of his company and so it's creativity versus big like bureaucratic business oh, interesting. you know anyway there's like I'm and I think I've and Steve Jobs to the you know to some extent had this aura to them, um, and you know, and so that to the extent that that's you know, they're not wrong, like, I like there is something like because design is and I still meet designers and I'll just be like astounded at like what they know and how they can see how they can solve things, like, like, industrial designers will just be like, we'll just try to. They'll just try to make something to like solve like an issue that's they have mice in their house, and so they'll just try to create this like elaborate camera system to understand where the mice are coming from, and and I'm like, why would you go to this trouble? But that's just what you're where your mind goes if you're trained in the field, and so I just I'm actually think of an ex, a real example of a friend of mine who's just who did this, but they, and so like you know I guess that example of like someone wanting to be creative about facing up to the social problems in their society. And this is like, this can have a banal, I think design thinking, uh, for example, is like a banalized version of this. Um, It's not, it's not terrible. It's just like, it doesn't, it sort of doesn't fully capture what it, what design, how designers think, you know? And I think that's like, and so, you know, in, in a very vague way, I think like, Having that example like you that you want that someone when faced with a particular problem uh, you know doesn't if you're a designer you don't your profession is fluid enough that you're like you you don't really always know what you're gonna do like you're like and, and if the problem is like I'm a designer and I' faced with like a with issue a major issue facing a city you're like you they're you're gonna have to be creative and withhold um Judgments and things like that. So I'm 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 putting that cautiously because I don't know if that's I've never really said that, and so I don't know if it's or thought it, and so like I don't know if it's really true that I think that I'm just like or that's the right that's how it's affected me. But that may be um, part of it. And and the last thing I'll just say, and this is not about design, but this is about my literary training. But that the one thing that has definitely proven true, but I did not know that it was going to be true is being an editor has been true like not Mm. not necessarily a writer but an editor in the sense that I often had to edit pieces you know and frankly you know frequently about architecture or design where I would not know the subject I couldn't write it myself I would need to find a writer and to find the right kind of writer I would have to do a lot of research and figure out who that person was and then I would you know no i have to figure out what the right questions were to ask about that piece and when i got it you when you get a piece and you're an editor you have to be kind of pseudo expert about yeah. it and um so you then have to learn a lot very quickly and that that practice has made it has made like crafting policy pretty helpful so i was able to pull a good policy team and you know it's a similar process like if i'm like to find to like get to get a housing policy, like I'm not going to really write it all myself. Like I'm going to work with people and they're, and fundamentally it's going to be a team that drafts it. And so that right. was similar. It was a similar process to editing a, a piece. And so if someone else is doing is trying to do the thing that you want done, but you, you can't quite, you're not going to do it yourself. And how that proves useful in, in legislating, I, I think it will, but I guess I, I, haven't, I haven't done it yet
0: do you think writing about thing i mean you have policy proposals around housing around transit around the green new deal that you have also written about as a design writer all of those subjects do you think approaching those through a design lens through your writing i, I don't know like gives you a better understanding of it or a different view of it now kind of being on the other side where you actually can start to kind of enact some of these things like is there something about that design lens that you feel has been helpful to you in in understanding these these issues and thinking about these issues for yourself
1: i don't know i don't know the answer i wish i i, I know that's sort of a satisfying i just i the one thing that has been true is actually maybe that you know not being trained as a design writer or as a as a design historian, not actually even being trained as a historian. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like there's there's ways in which um, I approach some of these subjects without without prejudice or without preformed opinions, and so they lead me in certain directions and to certain ideas that like. I don't know if I'm going to put them into practice in legislating, but they're certainly, they've got to be interesting in some way. So I'm like writing, I'm, it's trying to, I have to write it now because it's, I'm giving a lecture about it in a week, but there's a, there was this moment in uh, 1965, actually when uh, the poet and, but also our architecture sort of writer, uh, June Jordan, um collaborated with Buckminster Fuller to produce a plan for Harlem. It was, Born out of the, right, the, right after the Watts Rebellion. I mean, I'm sorry, not the Watts Rebellion. Excuse me, the, the rebellion in Harlem in 1964, and they produced this like these sort of uh, giant. They look like nuclear cooling towers. Just space. throughout Harlem, yeah. and I uh, and but like they were the projects are meant to be, you know, mixed use. And uh, although that's that de- barely describes what how mi- mixed their use. Towers, um, <laughs> yeah. in which that, you know, are meant to kind of take people out of what is it, what was perceived to be very claustrophobic and choking space right. in, in Harlem. And so I don't know that I'm going to like produ- want to pr- like, and it's just very, it's like an amazing moment where like you, you won you one in, in terms of architectural history, where I think we should be writing in more figures like June Jordan and thinking about them as, as architects in the same way or designers in the same way that we we also we tend to think about them as poets or writers or journalists and and you know equal in some ways to um to the figures we usually talk about in the, and, but mm-hmm. for me it's like just thinking through those issues thinking through the history of like urban rebellion black design and um i'm I don't, I don't think it's, it's going to, it's, I feel like it's got to be useful. I don't, It. it's just, I don't fully know how, even though we're not, it's like, I'm never going to say like, yeah, this is, this is what we should do. But it's like, but that knowing that there were moments when people thought like this and they opened up possibilities that, you know, like kind of, there are intonations here in that project of Afrofuturism. And um, that seems like, useful to know and useful to feel to feel connected to as a legislator but i don't i don't really know how like i just i I just feel like it's but maybe in the way that you just want to be alive to the possibilities that aren't normally um aren't normally part of legislation or politics. and like that that's in and the hard part is actually it's just there's not you lose a lot of time for that kind of like digging and i mean, like i'm already losing it i feel like we i don't really have right, right. i'm not able to like think deeply and in, in quite the same way or just like look around and peer around and and, and that that's mm. it starts to feel indulgent and it shouldn't it's but it's yeah i think that's what happens yeah. it's like politics can be especially when you're like you know you're not just expected to legislate but you're like expected to I like I spend so much time now doing social media, which I didn't even do. I didn't, I didn't have a thing. Like I had no Twitter. I had no Insta. Like nothing until I ran for right. office, and now I have to kind of like register my my day on platforms, and that takes away like a lot of time from from just yeah. other things. Yeah, yeah, so.
0: yeah. I, it, it's interesting that you say that because I wanna I wanted to ask you about something that you said. In another interview, you were interviewed in GQ during during the campaign and you kind of talk about it, really how we started this conversation about the kind of intellectual writing side and the, the organizing side and, and you talked about wanting to run a kind of unashamed intellectual campaign. And you said, I'm gonna quote you for a second. You said, this right-wing strategy to denigrate what is supposedly quote, highbrow political speech, I think has been internalized by people across the board. That diminishes the point of what we are trying to do. Socialism points upward. We want more people to have access to all cultural goods, including the widest spectrum of linguistic resources. I love that idea. I think that's exactly right. I think that's also kind of a design <laughs> question also like I think design at its kind of purest most noble form is a type of socialism that is making things available to everyone kind of you know allowing everyone to kind of take part in this. And I I'm very curious how you are thinking about reconciling this uh you know now You know essentially being in politics being a legislator how how does that intellectual side come back how do you maintain that space for kind of the deep thought how do you then communicate that in a way that's not uh you know dumbing it down for people but is kind of elevating everyone to this kind of level of discourse and then and then like the side question i guess to that is do you think you'll still be writing? Like, how, where does this kind of other side, does that still have a place?
1: Yeah. So, you know, I, I we're, we're going to have to find out on the, on the, like, on the, on the, just on the writing side. I, I, you know, I did write, it's funny, I did, I was asked to write a piece and it will, I believe, have come out by the time this podcast airs about Pennsylvania mm. politics. And it's actually like difficult and sensitive because I'm writing about, yeah. Something that's cl- that I'm writing about people I know, and or you know, or even even if it's obliquely or not by name, and so you suddenly have to be much more careful, and because you're a public figure in a in a in a, in a more serious way, and so I, I have there's like there's ways in which it becomes more difficult, but um so but but which doesn't mean that I can't. There are other subjects that are not as sensitive that I, I hope to be able to write about, not, not because I have to, it, I mean, I, I also need to make mo- I write because I, it's my job. And so I feel like I make money and now yeah, I'll have yeah. like a real salary for the first time in years. And like, and so, mm. you know, I, I do hope that there's room for that and, and, and to explore subjects in a complex way, which gets to the other part of the, the question. I mean, I, one of the, the most, the writing that politicians tend to do is our op-eds which I've done, it's a form that I just despise. Like I, it's, it's, I'm not one, I'm not very good at it. I don't, it's like a, it's a really degraded form of communication. It doesn't, yeah. you know, for all the reasons that we were talking about at the beginning of this, which is that, you know, you, you are trying to make it, you are trying to just get a point across and just, and you really can only make one point, you know, op-ed and, and you can, and you just have to, you know, you just have to get something done. You have to like, and you have to advocate something. Or, and, th- and sometimes that's the right thing to do. I don't really want to do a lot of those. And is, you know, if there's, if like I can consider housing, the housing question um, as in in its all its complexity or, um, you know, or things like that, I think that would be, I would still welcome that opportunity. And so I, in terms of just the, the issue about complexity. I mean, like one, it's it's personal to me as someone who does political organizing and, yeah. and and you know will often write something or or say something, and someone will point out that what I'm saying, like I've used like a fancy word when I don't I don't have to, or or, or something like that. And yeah. sometimes that's true. Sometimes I'm just in, I am actually just indulging a pen a habit that is like point pointless. Like I I've certainly written emails that where i i you know just in a pure editorial sense i don't need you don't need to do like it's not the opposite word to use and so so i do do that and people pull me back from it but i usually actually hear these complaints from people who are they're like oh this is you're shutting out so many people by writing or think talking this way and you know, And it's like this kind of mm. pseudo, it's this sort of elite anti-elitism because it usually comes from other people who have the same levels of like over-education or what have you that I...
0: Have. Right, and in some right. ways maybe
1: have like a much higher class background than I come from. I don't, my parents are immigrants from a poor country and I didn't grow up money. They were in a pizza restaurant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't, it was like, and so, um, and I grew up speaking, you know, two languages. Like it's not, it's, I, I sort of feel like that yeah my resentment is like, like yeah i um, yeah yeah so and also but more importantly like it's who i am like i i can't change i want I, I ran as who i am and like i and i think you you do kind of negotiate who you are in when you're a public person and you change that and you and you you are you do have a per, a public presence that is distinct from who you are privately and mm-hmm. i can't you know but that's what liberal society is you have a public self a public sphere and a private sphere but i um i can't it's it's sort of disingenuous and pandering i think to, to suggest that i yeah you know, yeah. to to try to be someone that i'm not and and to suggest that people aren't desirous of like just wanting to hear someone be who they are or like that they aren't desirous of like Education yeah. or whatever, you know, it, like whatever it happens to be. I mean, I, I like, I just don't think that's right. You, to go back to to have a design example for this, like the the kind of Tribune of all of this is William Morris. I think a great, great figure from yeah. Him, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, uh,
1: one of the founders of the British of British socialism, a a, a Marxist, you know, who designed. Tapestries and and expensive furniture and and you know had this at an issue. He was like, "Oh, I'm keeping. I have this problem. I'm like, we. I'm designed You know, I mean, this is a very simplified version of what happened, but he was designing luxury goods and for people. Yeah. And, but at the same time, that he recognized the kind of degradation of of the arts. What more generally eventually found the cause to be capitalism. Like, and so. And so, but he nonetheless wanted to continue to produce this work. He still wanted to produce like books and and uh, you know the Helmscott Press and like the author and Mm -hmm. yeah. um, And I think that's right. I think that's actually the right. You want to change the society, and you want that to be accessible. You know, in a way, our society is often not elitist enough and not democratic enough. It's not that it's. I think those two things are are somewhat separate. That's true of our. You know, university system such that it's it used to be the impulse to be like we're going to have these great universities and they're going to be free, mm-hmm. like and that's and that's the and you know and that's that's how we that's how we create access and that's how we enlarge the audience for you know what was bourgeois culture or or aristocratic forms of culture or whatever and like and then and then we ha- and then something changes as a result of our tourist to society, but that's that's how I t- I tend to think about it. And 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 I still, I, and that's who I, that's sort of who I am. Do you,
0: I mean, do you think, I mean, I'm I'm not asking you to predict the future or to, you know, kind of make guesses or, or anything, but, you know, I'm hearing this and kind of talking about this. I'm thinking obviously of um, Hofstetter's anti-intellectualism in American life. I'm thinking of uh, Kurt Anderson's recent book, Fantasyland, which I think was kind of about this in a way. I'm even thinking, strangely, of um, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, who, mm-hmm. <laughs> in, a, in a way, I think kind of relates to this as, as someone who was, you know, very uh, unashamed intellectual, who was also kind of writing about cities now that I think about it. And it just seems like that kind of politics isn't, I don't mean to be so negative, it, it's almost like not possible. Like, it, let me phrase this as a question. Is that possible? I've I've now shown you my cards. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, is how do you do that today? When you most of your day has to be spent <laughs> promoting yourself on social media, like how do you how do you get back to something like that? Or do you have thoughts on how you're at least hoping to retain some of that?
1: It's it's difficult. It's difficult in pure in terms of the, terms of the time. Like that that remains just that one. I'm reading. Not not necessarily reading less, but reading books less than I, or like at a less steady clip. And actually, you know, I think some of that can be just regimented and changed. It's not like a, it's not like you, you actually. I, it seems like Barack Obama was always like quite a, a voracious And so it's not. I think a lot of that is just your discipline and like not allowing yourself to just like. Tweet or whatever later <laughs> in, whatever 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 I'm doing but like the or just or to work past a certain hour, but um but also i I actually feel like it's slightly easier in the sense that than i than I would have thought in the sense that there is there's is just like on the academic side of things, I would say that there's much more commerce between the sort of left, left wing academy or just you know or I, that's even kind of a crude description, but just like this, like between the Academy and politics and there's more socially oriented work being produced. Like, I just, Mm. I know a lot more scholars who are quite savvy politically and, and I work with constantly to word sociologists and, and I, 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 a lot of my housing platform and education platform is produced by people who work at, we're landscape architects and, Planners and sociologists at, who like do stuff at Penn Design, you know, like at the oh, Penn, yeah. Penn Design School, and they're on the one hand totally immersed in like a certain form of scholarly inquiry, which which is itself under threat, but that's their own. But um, at the same time that they can, we talk all the time. I, the ideas are exchanged. We do Zoom events. We do like you know hopefully in person events at some point, and like I'm able to like learn and keep abreast of things and. And again, that actually helped. You know, it, it partly goes back to again my training as an editor, where like I had to, I, I had to do that all the time. Like I had, I had, you know, as in you also as an editor are constantly like, well, what's new? What should we be talking about? What's like, and that that's exhausting to some degree because you it means that you have to have this kind of like, you're always monitoring something. Like and yeah, and so, but it's all it means that you're you are thinking a lot and so right yeah i mean in a way the the side of me that's like the side of me that got got there is a part of me that is just interested in some of these subjects as in in ways that like Nietzsche might describe as like antiquarian like you like Mm. i'm just interested and like and like and i don't i know it has no political relevance and so like like i i play i'm a classically trained pianist i like like music Mm. i want to just be able to like I'm more worried about maintaining those, and like, and, yeah. you know, and just being like, yup. Like I'm going to like spend this evening, like listening to Don Giovanni or something and like reading some music. I I, I don't know. I'm not really revealing like, like true elitist inclinations, but like yeah. I like, yeah. said too much, but the, the, um, the, <laughs> the, the like, or whatever, you know, I'm just like, I'm also interested in like modern, just, i'm just interested in literature and things like that yeah, yeah. that's that stuff that's like really has no util, like no obvious utility and frankly some of the like design history where you're like it's not clear what my like reading about you know the the various like german yeah. Werkbunds that like formed before the like the Bauhaus, like, what does that have to do with anything? I don't know. It's like, but I'm interested anyway, and so yeah.
0: That I uh, know, I know exactly what you mean, and it actually leads perfectly into my last question. But um, I'm the same way in that a lot of my, especially in regards to reading and reading habits as my work has moved more into research and writing and editing, I'm finding that my reading time is going towards reading for research, which fortunately for me are subjects that I'm interested in, but I'm also a a big fiction reader and I love reading novels and literature. And, you know, I kind of, the thing I'm struggling with now is when it's, when I get quiet time to read, it's like, do I read this design history, which I'm going to be interested in, or do I pick up this novel that I would actually want to read, but serves no purpose other than, than pleasure. And so I know exactly what you're talking about. And my last question, which you mentioned you're not reading as much as you would like. uh, But the last question that I used to end all of these episodes is I'm, I'm curious what you're reading right now.
1: Oh, I'm reading persuasion. Jane Austen's persuasion. I'm actually, which I'm sort of embarrassed I'm I have a PhD in English and so it's a little bit right. not to have read this, you know, at some point. But I've never read it and it's a phenomenal book. I just <laughs> in case people didn't realize, Jane Austen is like a, a genius. And so that's that's what I'm that's what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. You know, and and actually and during the campaign I made I've I made like a point of just reading Things that I felt were were pretty were were I was interested in under any circumstances, but were like had no value. So before that, I read um, the Power of Images in the Age of Augustus, which is just a Mm
0: -hmm. classic
1: art history book. Or I know I understand it to be classic about the change in iconography and imagery and architecture under Augustus. You know, is like a Mm -hmm. a yeah like under like rationalizing what was like the the or legitimizing the regime change from the republic to the empire anyway it's a great book um yeah but right now i'm reading persuasion oh, I love that. like i should read it much more quickly because it's funny and like and i anyway but it's great
0: yeah um Nikhil, thank you so much for taking the time to do this like i said i am a big fan of your writing and i'm i'm so happy uh that you you've uh made it to the senate even if i'm a little bit sad that we might not get as much design writing from you um but i i enjoyed this conversation so much thank you for being on the podcast
1: thank you for having me this was like it was really a pleasure
0: this episode was recorded on october 19th 2020 our theme music is by andy borgasani we're on twitter and instagram at surface podcast you can find us wherever you get your podcasts and at scratchingthesurface.fm thanks for listening